Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. It saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in to Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Tamara Steffens of M12 VC Fund. Welcome, Tamara. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. Awesome. And maybe you can tell everyone, just retrace your career a little bit and tell everyone what M12 is. Yeah, M12 is Microsoft's venture fund. So we're a separate organization, but under the Microsoft umbrella, and we do the venture investing for Microsoft. That's It's a pretty pretty amazing perch to sit on to be able to look at the startup ecosystem. And from, from I mean, Microsoft is like an all-powerful company right now. It's pretty exciting. So I'm sure you have a ton of companies that want to work with you. Yeah, it's a pretty fortunate platform to have, and, and you are correct. We, uh, we definitely have an eye on the market and get the opportunity to talk to talk to the best startups, um, hopefully. Uh, hopefully we get to see them all. Um, that's the advantage of being at Microsoft. Yeah, so it's a great platform. Well, let's, we'll talk a little bit more Microsoft in a second, but maybe you, I mean, you have an amazing resume career. You've worked at a ton of great startups and I love to just kind of go into that. You've been an operator and that, that expertise kind of adds a lot of value when you're a VC. Maybe you can start off and just Talk about a couple of the companies you worked at, and uh, and we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, I think I'll go backward. Uh, my last company was Accompli, and we were acquired by Microsoft about five and a half years ago. Um, and kind of a funny funny story. I feel like I never get away from email because my first startup um, was Software.com. Uh, no, it wasn't a software company. Uh, from that perspective, we didn't sell you know, multiple types of software, we actually did email. And so I feel like I've started and ended uh, on email with a bunch of awesome companies in between. But it, it was great to get back to my roots and, and figure out how um, email still is ever evolving, right? It, it, nobody's gotten away from it. And uh, it's still one of the most important uh, applications people use every day at the office. For sure. Well, actually, one of our big clients is Superhuman. And, uh, and they're still evolving email, you know? So I've, wa I've watched those guys grow from a two-person startup to like a really powerful company. So yeah, there's still, still tons of innovation going on in, in email. Well, what was the software.com, what it merged with phone.com? What was the, what was the story there? Yeah. So software.com, we started in, oh gosh, it's got to go back to 94, uh, maybe even a little bit earlier than that. I joined them in 96 and help them grow their sales organization 
Um, and then, you know, after a few years, that market was pretty hot. Um, we didn't raise a lot of venture funding. We actually were one of the um, early stage companies which uh, didn't actually go uh, secure a bunch of venture funding. We took a, a small amount from Cisco's venture fund, still a dear friend of mine, Mike Volpe, who's now at Index Ventures. We'll, yeah. we'll thank him for making that investment back in the day. But um, <laughs> yeah. so after that, uh, we decided that, you know, consolidation of some of the technologies would be a great thing to do. And if you, if you remember, phone.com was a WAP based technology. And for those who don't know what that means, it's wireless access protocol. So it basically gave you access to the Internet on your phone, which seems easy today. Right. Like, of course. But, you know, we didn't have Android. We didn't have iPhone. And so it was really you know, if you think of your old flip phones, brew-based technology from Qualcomm, you know, getting on the internet was something new. So if you combined mobile access on the internet with email, you know, what would you get? And again, it seems so every day now, but it really wasn't back then. So it really took off and, and we sold mostly to the, the major operators, you know, AT&T, Verizon, uh, all over the world. And um, they offered email to their customers who wanted to get internet access. I, I laugh because I, I think I go back when I was going to take the job. I remember John McFarlane, the CEO, and I were talking and he's like, email is it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think so as well. And I told my friends, I was like, I'm going to go to work for this company that does email. They're going to give like personal email access to people. And everyone was like, what? Nobody's going to like everybody uses voicemail. Who needs their own personal email account? Yeah. Right. And yeah. I mean, you people had email at work. So don't get me wrong. It wasn't as if email didn't exist at work. It just nobody was really moving toward their own personal email account. And if you think about yeah. if you think about domains back in the day, it was Microsoft who kind of set up the, the barriers where you couldn't have, you know, a million users on a single domain. So if you were at uh, ABC company, it, it might be Tamara at Dallas.abc.com. So they'd have to break up that domain to make sure they could get some number of users in that. And so software.com's kind of sweet, you know, success was based on they figured out a way to put millions of people on single domains as these ISPs, these internet service providers started to uh, ramp up. So it was so much fun. And we took the company public in 90, 99, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was um, 99. Yeah. I, well, we were talking before I turned the mics on, but I think I might have worked on, or someone someone in my bullpen at Hamburg and Quist actually worked on that deal, or you guys bought another company from one of our you know, clients. It was, But I remember, your, I remember following phone.com and, and software.com. And I do remember like that old world of like, the WAP based access and selling through the operators or the carriers and like how crazy it was and how they were like the gatekeepers for everything. And just signing one of those big deals would make your stock go up like a hundred percent in one day. Yes. You know, it was just a wild time. Yep. Yeah, it really was. It was so much fun. And we did do a bunch of smaller acquisitions just to take in some additional technology and continue to grow the company. Yeah. And it was, it was great. I mean, what, what a ride and what what great experience. Yeah. And then, you know, the next job I took was equally fun. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe these. And it was at Boingo. And if you remember Sky Dayton, he had, yeah. he had started Earthlink. 
And when he was in his 20s, like early 20s, 19, 20, 21, and then he started Boingo. And it was the same story. I remember meeting him and he's like, you know what? Everybody's going to use this thing called Wi-Fi and we're going to somehow <laughs> connect all these Wi-Fi networks. And I'm like, yes, I love this. This is so cool. Like you'll be able to get on to these networks. And remember phones at the time still weren't really Wi-Fi capable. PCs were, yeah, you know, not at all. your laptops were. So we did a lot of work again with the operators, giving them access to different Wi-Fi networks. But we actually had this technology where you'd go out and you'd sign up coffee shops and airports and, you know, anybody who was putting in a Wi-Fi network and we found a way to connect them all so you could have a single sign-on. And I remember my friends thinking, who's going to do that? <laughs> and, I've been on so many Boingo networks over the years. I totally remember that. Like that, that was the brand, yeah. you know, especially at airports, I feel like, or in coffee, you're right, coffee shops too. Yeah, they, it was great. So what fun to work for people like John McFarlane and then Sky Dayton. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. You can't really top that. So it, it was a, it was a great beginning of working for startups and I got, you know, very addicted to it. So people keep asking me, you're still at Microsoft five years later. And I go, I know <laughs> I, I do love Microsoft. And I think it being at M12, it kind of has given me that I, I get to go back to my crack addiction of talking to startups and working with them and figuring out how to get them to grow. So I do get that. Uh, I get that fix back. So it's fun. That's really cool. Well, what are some of the, like, because there's some venture capitalists who are just pure finance people who've been doing investing for many years, but I feel like venture capitalists like yourself that have all those, all that operating experience background, all those war stories and all those lessons and been in high growth companies can add so much value. Like what are some of the things that you talk about with your portfolio companies to help them get over the hump? Well, you know, everybody says this, you know, to, to focus on product market fit, but that probably is the single biggest thing, right? Because people have a great idea. And if you can't explain it in a way that, you know, and I don't want to say simplifies it, but it's the easiest way for me to explain it, to simplify it so that people know how to um, take advantage of that technology, whether it's something really complex or something, you know, a productivity app which a productivity app can be very complex. Email can be really complex, right? You know, you, we, we invented, invented, started this thing called focused and unfocused, right? So that, and then now we call it focused and other. So it doesn't really remove spam. It just removes maybe newsletters and things that you get a lot of that you can set yeah. aside and look at later. And the rest of your email comes in. So it's very focused and you can address those things first. So simplifying it and understanding product market fit for who you're selling to, I think is really important because that will reduce your sales cycle, right? If you can explain it faster and people understand how to digest the technology quicker, you will be able to get more sales done. For sure. And there's something, there's a new kind of term called like product led growth that I hear a lot about, which is like kind of, I think it's what you're talking about where people love the product. It satisfies exactly what they need product market fit. And then people try to work in some of the viral sharing or network effects into the product. Like the, the classic example would be like Hotmail's little signature after the, you know, someone signs their name says sent by Hotmail or sent by Superhuman or whatever, right? And that's like product-led growth. Have, do you, are you seeing a lot of that stuff or investing in a lot of those kind of companies? We do see it. We have invested in some. I think, you know, the pandemic has made that even more important because it's harder to get in front of 
you know, top-down selling cycles. So can you find a way to, uh, I mean, Slack is the perfect example of how they grew from, a, you know, the bottoms up. Yeah, I'm still not convinced that will be the way we do sales forever. I think it is a great way to get in the door. Ultimately, though, if you're going to sell to a big enterprise, whether it's, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase or American Airlines or Boeing or whatever, it's it, you've got to have a product that meets the security requirements so that they can roll it out, you know, in a broad way. Now, smaller companies, SMB, mid-market, you'll have a lot of luck, I think, starting at the bottom and getting growth, you know, through that viral nature. But it, it is kind of why Microsoft Teams has taken off as well as it has is because we have yeah. all the security. I mean, we're an enterprise, com you know, enterprise software company to start with. All the security is built in. It comes with your Office 365, M365 subscription. So it's done really well because it really meets that, you know, high-end enterprise market. So I do think you can start in this viral way and do product-led growth. And it's really important to have that because that does give you that product market fit. But I think you're still going to have the top-down sale if you want the big enterprise. Yeah, you said a bunch of things that were really, really smart there. Like the, the COVID world we're living in, it makes it more important, but pro hopefully someday we'll get back to the regular world and enterprise sales works again. Even Office 360, you know, like that for us, we're like an SMB, but like we actually use Azure. Uh, we've used a bunch of security features in Azure. We're an accounting firm, so we can't have social security numbers floating around. And so like, because we have Office 360, we then went to Azure for a bunch of stuff to make our, our whole ecosystem a lot more secure. So like Microsoft's doing it in a lot of different ways. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and obviously most financial services companies and if, as an accounting firm, you know this probably use Microsoft because of our you know heavy security and our, our concentration to make sure things stay safe. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, what are some of the, what type of company and maybe type of stage you're looking at at M12, like what's your target? Yeah, so our sweet spot, we started out, so I should say we're a four-year-old fund. We started out leaning into series B and series C to just get the fund going and, and look at the technology and kind of understand where uh, we could make the biggest impact. And the last two years, we've really leaned in and will continue to lean in at, a, at series A. We like series A because we can get in early and we can really help that company grow, hopefully. Uh, through the relationship with Microsoft. So Series A, uh, we like to lead. I would say our sweet spot is SaaS. You know, enterprise SaaS is a good fit because we can generally really help those types of companies. But we also look at, you know, cybersecurity is another big focus for us. But we look at, you know, robotics and other later stage, um, I sh should say earlier stage technology as well. So we, we look at everything, but, but our sweet spot is SaaS, cyber, and uh, companies that are focused on the enterprise. Yeah, that makes total sense. How do you? How does M12 and in your portfolio, your specific portfolio, how do you plug them into like the Microsoft machine? Is it they get access to like sales channels and product expertise, or how how does it work for the startups? Yeah, they they actually get access to everything. We have an entire portfolio development team that is based in Redmond. That's part of M12. And when you are, when we make an investment in you and you become one of our portfolio companies, we assign you a portfolio development manager. And that person's sole job is to make sure one, Microsoft knows about your product. Maybe you can sell it into Microsoft and we'll help you do that. 
Number two, how do we get you co-selling with our sales reps around the world globally? And number three, what do you need from us from an engineering and technical perspective that we can go get for you? So all three of those things we go help them with. And it may be, hey, it's going to be better if you integrate into teams and our sales guys understand that and you become part of our you know, go-to-market motion with the teams group. Um, or maybe it's Azure. Our Azure sales teams have a you know, catalog of technology. Maybe it's a cybersecurity technology or a, a, really anything that, that would sit on Azure that our sales guys can go out and talk to their customers about. Yeah. And even a little bit of healthcare focus, retail focus. We don't really have industry focus per se at M12, but we do look at the industries that are important to Microsoft. Yep. Well, one of the things you talked about was that sale, your salespeople going out to the channel. And I think maybe for some people in the audience, they don't realize how strong, like Microsoft is so dominant with like IT service firms and IT like resellers. Like, I mean, it is like a, just, you guys own that channel. So like, for example, like we're an SMB, we, we depend on our IT services firm to recommend technology to us. And by definition, they're kind of defaulted towards Microsoft because they have such a great and deep relationship with you. So by your sales team working with a startup, they're probably getting access to like hundreds or thousands of other resellers across the country and the globe, right? Well, exactly. Um, And and we have a really uh, concerted go-to-market and co-sell effort with our portfolio companies, provided that's something that they need or they want to grow, um, which which most of them take advantage of. Our sales force is the strongest enterprise sales force in the world. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Based on based on size, based on training, based on experience. You know, often people say it's Microsoft's uh, you know reason for success, and and I will agree with that. I will say that our engineering teams are also top notch. So th- those two things really um, are important. And as a portfolio company of M12, you get access to both. Yeah, that's really fantastic. Are there any companies that like you want to highlight that have really taken advantage of the Microsoft relationship to to jumpstart their growth? That, yeah, a lot of them have. I, I can just thinking about uh, a couple of the companies that I'm on the board of that, and even some of them are even newer, meaning newer to start taking advantage of Microsoft's you know go to market. I have a company that I just love called PandaDoc. Um, oh yeah, do- I love them too. Yeah. Yes, they they do this e-signature, but you know, total workflow management. And they they started out in SMB kind of and moved up to mid-market pretty quickly. And they've been out and able to replace DocuSign in some of these big enterprise accounts of late. And their their technology was built on the cloud. They so it's it's very new, it's it's light, and they the way they package it, you get unlimited transactions, right? So you're buying it by the seat. And so it's turned out to be a much more cost-effective solution. And once people try it, they realize it's actually better than the other solutions in the market. So they've really um, taken off. And it's interesting because for us, you know, we love to see companies move up market. And we've been, we've been talking with them about they've integrated into Dynamics, our um, CRM system. So mm-hmm. we're just working with them oh. now to be able to take advantage of that. But that's one example of just they're just a perfect fit um both for smb and uh now upmarket enterprise accounts yeah i actually remember looking at them quite a bit because they they have a really nice configurable it's like you can use their api really easily 
And so that was what really attracted me to them. So that, that is a really great company. And I'm in the integration and dynamics for people who don't know, that's like Microsoft has a really big CRM business. And like, what's the first thing you're going to do after you close an account, you're going to send them a, a contract. So the integration there makes so much sense. That, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is fantastic. And then we have another company that I love that I'm on the board of as well. It's very new. We just we just invested in them. It's called Fortress IQ. And they kind of, I, I don't know how to explain it in a simple way, but I'll try. Um, they kind of automate the RPA process and, and they'll, they'll probably get mad at me for the way I'm going to describe this. But if you think of it as somebody in accounts payable, accounts receivable, that they're doing virtually the same thing over and over again, how can you automate that? They don't generate the bot, so they're not in the business of creating a bot. But what they are able to do is use computer vision, machine learning, and actually understand what the process is that can be repeated. And then they will highlight you know, what can be repeated. And they've got some huge customers, big enterprises, that are just trying to do more automation. And um, their technology is phenomenal. Um, and so they're really taking off. So if you think about the business of RPA where people would go out and they're trying to redo um, processes and they hire these third-party consultants that take a year or two to, to get you to audit, you know, refine your processes, this, this does it for you, right? So it understands exactly what the users are doing and it comes up with here are the things that are repeatable that you can go create a bot for and do that. And you can use those those that staff now in more important areas, right? So they're not a company that says, oh, you can go you know, reduce your hiring or have less people working. They basically said, just use those people in other areas where you need growth or where you need more um, attention. And just like some of these simple processes that we can automate for you, let us take care of that. So they've been on fire as well. That is, you know, I, I, the name sounded really familiar. So I, I checked and they, in fact, we talked to them in December, like six months ago. And I remember thinking it was really cool because we're, we're still a small company, but we've automated a ton of like the accounting stack. And so like a lot of, a lot of stuff we build plugs into QuickBooks and like automates transaction recognition and, you know, labeling and things like that. But like that, what you're talking about is the next frontier where you're like automating people's kind of workflow that maybe no one's ever documented ever. Like they just have a job, you hire them to do the job, you know the job gets done, you just don't know how they're actually doing it. That makes a lot, a lot of sense to me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Are both those like series A's or those mid-stage companies or how did you? Yeah, Fortress IQ is still early. That was a series A. Um, so yeah, that was a series A. Pandadoc we invested in is as a series B. Um, but it was, you know, I would still say relatively early stage. They're kind of on fire, so they're definitely not early stage anymore. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, and and some others that we have done Series A where we've led. One I'm also on the board of is a completely different. It's called SpyCloud, and they basically understand what's happening on the dark web, right? So oh, wow. they have technology and the the ability for them to know what's happening before. Um, everything else, you know, before all the stuff gets out there and the security, you know, breach happens. So they've also been a company that's just been, uh, you know, had crazy growth and been able to take advantage of that, that space. And I, I there, a good example that, so people can understand it is there's this company Credit Karma. In fact, I think they just got bought by Intuit. You can subscribe um, to their service and they'll basically, you know, protect your identity 
Um, and so behind that is SpyCloud, right? So some of the technology they're using to make sure you and I, our identity is protected is SpyCloud. And you could actually go to their website now and just type in, they ask you for a little bit of personal information, you could type it in and it'll tell you um, where your password is known on the dark web. Yeah. Um, very cool. And I think they've got a long future in protecting people um, and their identity as a whole, not just your password, but you know, think about your whole identity and making sure yeah, I hear you. I, I subscribe to something like that too, and I'm forgetting. Oh, LifeLock, and it's so. But I'm sure Spy SpyCloud may even power LifeLock because it's it is so powerful to get like that little notification, and be like someone checked out your social security number, you know, and you get like yeah. a little freak out, and then you're like, okay, let's figure this out. And 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 it's interesting because while your social security number is critical, the issue and how they get that is usually because somebody found somebody has your password, right? Somebody has your password and they, they know how to get into your accounts or they understand the makeup of your identity so they can, they can get into your accounts. So um, they're doing a great job. They do it at the enterprise level uh, mostly. So what they're doing is working with, um, you know, the likes of, you know, think, think of just about any big company and making sure that the employee data doesn't get out there as well. Oh, so they nice. started out on the enterprise, but it's taken off on the consumer side as well. So They've got a new focus on that to start to work with companies who want to offer it as a service on the consumer side. They, they wouldn't offer it themselves, but they would do it through partnerships like Credit Karma. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you've got, I mean, you've been a pleasure to talk to you. You have such a great experience and now you're at like a powerhouse VC fund. What's just real, before we finish up, what's my, what is M12's like, what's, where does the funding come from it? What check size do you like to write? Like any other background info on M12 you can share? Yeah, so our funding comes from um, Microsoft. So um, on our balance sheet, so that's that's our only LP, if you like, if you want to look at it from that perspective. We love Series A early. We want you know want to get in early. Check size, you know, five to fifteen million. We've done even bigger, but that's kind of our sweet spot in that range. Uh, enterprise SaaS seems to be a really good good space for us, but we do venture outside of that a little bit and and you know we just we just uh, got our office in india going about eight ten months ago so now we have a leader there that's that's helping us invest in the indian market so we opened our india office and we opened our london office recently um so our focus we are expanding uh going global and just adding more uh investors to our team and you know continuing to invest in those early stage startups i love it well thank you so much for coming by i really appreciate it you have a great day and hopefully we can send a few cruise clients to M12 and uh, you can take a look. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you today, Scott. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise, founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Olm.